Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. This morning, we're learning that another person has died from injuries from yesterday's shooting at a San Jose Valley Transportation Authority light rail yard, which has now left 10 people, including the gunman, dead. KQED's Aditi Bandlamudi was at the scene yesterday and is here with us this morning to give us an update. Aditi, one person who was in critical condition and had been transferred to the hospital, has died. What more can you tell us about the victim? We're still learning about who they were, but we know that they were all VTA employees. The county's medical examiner has released their names and ages, and they range from 29 years old to 63. And they also seem to have done all kinds of work for the VTA. One was a substation manager, another was a light rail operator. And as we learn more about the victims, we're also learning about their mark on the community. The county is offering grief and trauma services for transit employees and anyone affected by the shooting. Hmm. I know a very long investigation has just started, but can you tell us a little more about what happened yesterday? Yeah, officials are still trying to piece that together, but we know that the shooting occurred sometime around 6.30 on Wednesday morning at the VTA Transit Center. That's around the same time that a shift change happens with overnight workers and daytime workers being on the site together. We also know the fire department was tending to two other incidents around that same time, a second alarm residential fire and another second alarm fire near an industrial commercial area. And investigators are still trying to see if all of those incidents were related. And what's the area like around where the shooting happened? It's not far from downtown San Jose. It's near a lot of county buildings like the county main jail, the district attorney's office, and the county sheriff's training center. The transit center itself is very large. It's this area where the VTA light rails are stored, um, dispatched, and where maintenance is done. The VTA has actually suspended light rail service for the next few days while investigators look through the crime scene. I know we don't know that much about the shooter yet, but can you tell us about the investigation? What does come next? The one thing we do know about the suspect is that he was a VTA employee. And there are a lot of agencies looking into this case, along with the county and the San Jose PD. The FBI, the ATF, and the Department of Homeland Security are all here assisting in evidence gathering and processing forensics. When officers were on the site yesterday, a bomb-sniffing dog did detect explosive material. So they've cleared out that building and the area, and they're going to just go through with a bomb squad to make sure the area is explosive free. Officials are saying that can take up to a week because it's such a large site. All right. That is Aditi Bandlamudi. She's a Silicon Valley reporter for KQED and is based in San Jose. Aditi, thank you so much for talking to us about all of this. Thanks for having me.
The San Jose shooting has again focused attention on America's gun laws and how easy it is to buy firearms. California, though, has some of the strictest gun laws in the nation, and yet mass shootings still happen here. That's led some to question whether the state is doing enough to prevent these tragedies. I spoke about this earlier with Stanford University professor John Donahue, who studies America's gun laws. California has... uh basically spent the last uh, 20 years or so trying to come up with uh, various measures that will uh, decrease the likelihood of uh, firearm fatalities. And so, for example, while the rest of the country, a certain type of background check that only applied when someone bought from a federal licensed dealer. So, you know, if you're, if you're buying a gun from uh, Dick's Sporting Goods or Walmart, You have to go through a background check that's mandated by the federal government. But California is one of the relatively few states that says all transactions must go through a background check. So background checks are one thing that they do. And um, furthermore, they have restrictions on assault weapons and high capacity magazines. But I should say all of these measures are being aggressively challenged by, uh, you know, the gun lobby in, in federal litigation here in California. Yeah. And of course, you know, there's the entire country and the world beyond California. If I drive a few hours away, I'm in Reno or Vegas or Phoenix, and I can buy all kinds of firearms there very easily, much more easily than I could in California, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we see that uh, some of the mass shooters in California have taken advantage of that, Of course, um, it's really regrettable that we did have a federal assault weapon ban in place for 10 years, but the uh, George W. Bush administration allowed that to lapse in 2004. So now assault weapons are are freely available in uh, Arizona and, uh, you know, Nevada, Oregon. So it does make it easier for those who who want to uh, commit mass murder. I guess with the national situation as it is, with a state and a country awash in firearms already, can we do really any more with new laws, or is it just kind of moving the chairs around? You know, that's a it's a good question. It it actually turns out that California gun regulations have have been important. Uh, If you look 15 years ago, we had a considerably higher homicide rate and also firearm homicide rate than the rest of the nation. Now we have a considerably lower firearm homicide rate and overall homicide rate. And much of that is because of the various array of gun measures that were put into place. So the problem is instead of having, you know, three mass shootings over a period of time, we're getting, you know, two or one. Hmm. So in other words, things are bad, but they could be far worse. And they will continue to get worse unless national measures are, are, are taken. Because as you said, California can only do so much. Uh, Arizona and Nevada and Oregon are problems for, for the state. So, so you really do need a federal assault weapon ban in place. It did restrain mass murders during the 10 years but things have gotten a lot worse. You know, the the world is dividing now between those who are fighting to sort of reduce the gun mayhem and those who are fighting to maintain policies that will allow that problem to to get worse. 
All right. Well, on that sobering note, that is Professor John Donahue of Stanford University. Professor, thanks so much for joining us on the California Report. My pleasure. Now let's turn to the survivors of mass shootings and what they go through. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi spoke with Melissa Brimer, Director of Terrorism and Disaster Programs at the UCLA Duke National Center for Child Traumatic Stress. I believe the perpetrator was known to everybody, and this was a fellow coworker. And that sense of betrayal of knowing somebody and that person has created harm to you is something that's also going to have to be processed. And for those that worked with that individual, trying to think through were warning signs missed? Was there anything that could be done to prevent the situation? And so appreciating that level is is important because we saw this, um, frankly, in San Bernardino after the December uh, shooting a a few years ago. And some of the trauma is not immediate, correct? They may not show signs for weeks, but something eventually hits them. Absolutely. It's important for us to have services and supports for those who are having those reactions currently and need support right now. But we know that there's going to be folks that don't know that they need support till later on, especially those who are, are grieving right now. They're processing that their loved one's not returning home. They are trying to think of ways to let family members or other loved ones know what happened. They typically don't even get to really start grieving until weeks later. What should friends, family, or loved ones be doing right now? There's normally a rush to comfort people and ask them if they need help, but that may not be the best way to handle this type of trauma. You're absolutely correct. First, listen. Let the person that has been through this uh, incident be able to dictate how much they want to talk about it, or sometimes they just don't want to be alone and want somebody near them. And so I always let them dictate how much they want to talk about it, Or do they need help um, with, for example, parenting or other things that they just maybe may not uh, feel up to it? And so being that, that listening ear, and we know that there are tons of different reactions. There could be different feelings. There could be sleep difficulties. And we don't want to jump that anyone who's struggling right now is going to have long-term impairments. But what we can say is, given that you're struggling right now, would it be helpful to talk to your physician or a mental health provider? What are some of the things survivors can expect to feel during this period of mourning? Some might be experiencing nightmares. Other reactions that we might hear people talk about is just that difficulty paying attention, concentrating, almost like People have told me that they almost feel like they're in a fog or a daze. Others, when I've talked to people who have been through mass violence, could have a range of feelings that could be because of the grief that I described earlier. It could be uh, sadness or complete anger or rage because they feel like warning signs were missed. 
whether it's from the community, from their employer, or from other coworkers. And there could be outrage about how this could even happen. That was Melissa Breimer, Director of Terrorism and Disaster Programs at the UCLA Duke National Center for Child Traumatic Stress. Melissa, thanks so much for your time today. Absolutely. And that was KQED's Keith Mizuguchi. And that's the California Report for Thursday, May 27th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a good day. Support for the California Report comes from Blue Shield of California, closing the health care gap since 1939. Learn more about their commitment to quality and fair health care for every Californian at news.blueshieldca.com. Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.